to, great to be here. Uh, to this morning, um, I just wanted to jump into something, uh, probably just a one-time one uh, quick thought for us for, uh, for the summer. Uh, uh, titled this uh, message this morning, the, the Best Summer Ever. So, the best summer ever. Uh, I think we have a slide for it somewhere. Do we have a slide for it? Yeah, so don't mock my spelling. It'll make sense in a bit. But uh, today, I just want to just leave that up there. But just today, I want to call today just a healthy reminder. We, we have healthy reminders in our life. Sometimes we need some healthy reminders. For instance, healthy reminder. You know, my little, my little Nest thermostat told me, check your furnace filter. It's time to change it. That's a good healthy reminder. You know, they tell you to change the batteries in your smoke detector. Good healthy reminder. Drink more water, it's summer. Get more exercise, it's summer. And wear sunscreen because it's summer. All good, healthy reminders. Uh, and this past week, I was listening to a podcast as I was driving, and, and I was listening to an older podcast uh, from Andy Stanley. And it was just it was this thing. It tweaked in me again, this healthy reminder of something that I just feel like I need to be reminded of time and again and felt like it'd probably be good for us to take a look at it as a church as well. We've talked about it before, but again, just a healthy reminder because tis the season. Summer is almost here, allegedly. Monsoon season is almost over and summer will, will be here. No more rain. But have you got plans for your summer? See, why do we even have summer if you're not going to plan for it? No, no, but it's just like, it's never coming. It's coming. But maybe, maybe for you, I don't know if you've planned that this is going to be your best summer ever. If you've been intentional about that thought, is this going to be your best summer ever? Look, well, I don't know, like, if it's going to be my best summer ever. I guess it depends on what I compare it to. So maybe if you're a camper, you compare it to some of your previous camping trips that may have looked more like this, you know, flooded out. Like, I'm hoping my summer is going to be better than that. But if you compare it to some, maybe some others who do the glamping thing where it's like you got a hot tub just outside your tent. Uh, you're like, no, I don't know if it's going to be, uh, you know, better than that one. Uh, but not necessarily like comparing like what you compare to. But this morning, I want to talk more about who you compare yourself to. Who you compare yourself to. See, something that uh, many of us can be tempted to do or tend to do without even realizing that we're doing it or realizing the effects of it. But we find ourselves sucked into what Andy Stanley would call a comparison trap. And uh, the comparison trap is so, it's so simple to get into and not, when you don't realize you're in it, it's so simple to stay in it, and it affects our lives in big ways. So today we're just kind of talking about how we survive in the land of Ur. That is the land of Canada, the place where we live, where we just want more Ur. It's, that, it's, it's what our culture is striving for. The, the, summer toys, the summer toys have started coming out already. I've seen some of them around. I put them in ABCs because I see, you know, the abs are starting to come out. Not mine, but some of you. You know, the, um, the ATVs, you know, are all over the place. The Airbnbs are being booked. And then, and then for the Bs, you know, I see people's, their, their new bikes or their boats uh, or, or the, the, the barbecue, the new barbecue for Father's Day or the beach bodies or the new bathing suits or, you know, the car, the convertible, the campsite, the camper, you know, the cottage. All of a sudden, all these pictures start showing up. Where do they show up? They show up on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook. And it's this temptation to compare. Like, well, they've got a really nice motorcycle. You know, that, that, I would kind of like a, a nice motorcycle. And it's crazy how it happens because it even happened to me on the way here today. I was driving here and I drove past Mark DeYoung's place and I see this cool Highland cow in his field. I'm like, I would like one of those. And I'm like, there it, there it is again already. Just those, how simple it, it, it creeps in. But it's not simple. It was planned. I don't know if you realize this, but Facebook used to be called Face Mash. And Face Mash was, out, was um, originally designed by some Harvard students to compare students, whether they were hot or not. That was the whole thing. Two students, hot or not. And now we have Facebook as a result. And Facebook is the, 
thing where it's so simple to compare and whether you're like, ah, not Facebook, whether it's Instagram or whether it's just simply things you see, that thought to compare and, and wanting, you know, more er. And we say, well, what do you mean by er? Well, you know, it's that thought of in our culture, we want more. We want to be rich er. You know, I'd like to be funny er. I'd like to be trendy er. I want my, you know, I hope that I'd have a job that's better er or hair that is more er er. You know, or for some, you know, in school and high school, it's like, well, you know, their, their, their boyfriend is cuter, their girlfriend is prettier, they're skinnier, they're smarter, they're more popular-er. And we just like a little bit more-er in our life. And sometimes we're like, well, I'm tired of looking at the people who have more-er than me, so I would rather look at the people with less-er than me, because then, you know, it feels a little better. I'll look at the people who are less smarter than me, maybe the ones who are boringer-er. Uh, or, you know, the, the ones who are heavier or, or balder or their house is messier or their car is rustier. And so I feel superior -er. Just want a little bit more er. And some of you are like, I'm not that person. I don't really care about more er. There's a whole nother group that's like, I don't even want er. All I want is est. I don't care about er. I want to be the, the best at whatever it is. I want to like to be, the, in my circle of friends, I want to be the richest. I want to be the funniest. I want to be the coolest, the prettiest, the smartest, the, the bestest. I just want to, I want the land of est and not realizing that you're still competing in the comparison competition. And a lot of times we don't even realize that the other people that we see and look at, they don't even realize. You know, Mark Young didn't come to church today thinking, wow, the pastor's jealous of me. I'm pretty sure he didn't think that. Maybe he did, but I doubt it. You know, I don't, I, we don't realize the people that, we're, that we have little, these little bit of jealousy things that they, they don't even realize that, that, that there is this competition or that, that there's that part of us that's like, ah, a little bit of a desire for more of Ur as we compare. And not, what we don't often realize is there's an actual danger in it because it affects us. It's not just one of those things that hey, I see and it's okay. You know, it's one of those things. It, it actually has the ability to affect us, our relationships with others, and our ability to follow Jesus' command, something that we spent weeks talking about. How do you follow Jesus' command to love one another? Well, here's one of the things that, that helps or, or contributes to making that difficult or sometimes impossible. And so Andy Stanley's thought was this, there's no win in comparison. I just want to put that up there a bunch of times. So maybe at the end of this, you know, today, as you see things, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's a nice Highland cow, but there's no win in comparison. Yeah, that's a really nice convertible they got, but there's, there's no win in comparison. Because comparison, it's not always intentional, but it's always hurtful. And it's not always hurtful immediately, but it's hurtful down the road. And so my question for you this morning is, would you drive into an intersection if you were guaranteed to get hurt going through that intersection? Would you take your car through this? You're probably saying, no, no, I wouldn't. And yet comparison is like that intersection that we would just drive right on through every time and every time uh, that the hurt is, is just around the corner. And so how do you escape that comparison trap? How do you escape it when you're like, when you're in it? Uh, my kids have this book that I think teaches them the ABCs, but it's even at that age where they start teaching them that, you know, what you have isn't quite enough. You, you know, you need more. And the, the book goes like this. It's like, Adam has a zebra, but he doesn't have an alligator. Poor Adam. You know, Billy, he has an alligator. But he doesn't have a ball. Poor Billy. Carly has a ball, but she doesn't have a cat. Lucky Carly. You know, Dylan, <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> Dylan has a cat, but doesn't have a dog. Poor Dylan. And in the end, after they go all the way to Zed, 
what they decide is that everybody will just give to the next person the thing that they have because it matches with them. And then at the end, Adam gets his alligator, Billy gets his ball, Carly gets her cat, Dylan gets the dog, and everyone's happy in the end. I'm like, that's just the perfect cure for it. Everybody gets what they want and everyone's happy. And so I thought I would try that this morning because Mark has a 2001 Honda Accord, somewhat rusty and high mileage. But what Mark doesn't have is a 2019 Honda Civic. And so who would like to give me the 2019 Honda Civic? And I will gladly give away my 2001 Honda Accord. Let's try and we can all be happy. The sermon would be over. You know that. If this just happened right here, we would have to say no more. (laughs) Some of you, that's not even valuable enough to do it. All right. Well, uh, obviously, when we look at it, we realize it's not really a problem that we can fix. It's not like we can just go around in our culture and we can just solve this problem. Everybody gets what they want. Now it's all good because it's it's not really a problem that we fix. It's It's a tension that we have to manage. Because the tension's not always there, but when it comes, it's like, what am I going to do with that thought? We had a course here called The Battlefield of the Mind, that every thought that comes into your mind isn't necessarily one you have to think. And every phrase that comes into your mind isn't necessarily one you have to say. That's just bonus. All right. Every thought that comes into your head isn't the one you have to think. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to allow it to, go, to, to fester there, allow it to go deeper, or will it be something you realize right away? No, that's, that's, uh, that's not something I want in there. That's something that um, I'm just going to take, take uh, captive right now. I'm not, I'm not going to go uh, down that road. There's no win in comparison. It's not a brand new thought. It's been happening for thousands of years. Proverbs chapter 14, one of the wisest men to ever live, Solomon, wrote these words. He wrote this proverb and said, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy, envy, comparison, it's like cancer in the bones. He says, this is something on the inside. What does it do for us? How does it affect us personally? Because for some of you here, you're not a Jesus follower. You just came to church today because somebody invited you, but you're not really a Jesus follower. You're like, well, I don't want, why do I need this? Because it's not just a Jesus follower thing or a Christian thing. It's like an us thing. It affects each and every one of us. Comparison, no matter how you do it, it'll steal the joy of your current accomplishments. For instance, my kids play soccer, and the other night, my son Lincoln scored his first goal in soccer. And we were like, yeah, Link, way to go. You scored your first goal. And what's his first sentence? Yeah, but the other kid on my team scored three. And it's like, yeah, but you got one. Yeah, but he got three. And it's, that, it's those thoughts sometimes are so simple. You know, we, we, we learn that, uh, the, the comparisons, it's always, it's always available for us. But it often goes, it goes deeper than that, not just accomplishments, but it, it attacks our value as people. We allow it to attack the value of who we are. Uh, and something we learn as kids, you know, when you go to school, we talked about this last week, I think, with, at school, when they gave out the report cards. In grade school, they gave you the sealed envelope and said, take this home and don't show anyone on the bus. And as soon as you get on the bus, it started with the grade eights at the back. You hear ripping, you know, gentle tearing of the things, and people start comparing. And they were trying to teach us at that point, don't compare yourselves with one another. That's not what's important. But by the time we got to high school, they just gave up. And they're like, you know what? You guys want to compare? Fine. We'll just put you in the classes that we think you are. Here are generals. You're the basics. You're the advanced. And they just, you know, no question. We'll just just put it out there. And so sometimes there's those comparison things where you compare with other people. And it actually is kind of like a high. I remember sharing a story a couple years ago that when I was in grade school, I wasn't like an athlete. I was really small. But they had this event that they had for field day called sack racing. And so they would put kids in feed bags and tell them to hop as quick as they could. And whoever got to the line first was the winner. And I was just gifted. I don't know why. It just had it. Uh, had it in me. And so, you know, I, I, was the, I was the best sack racer in my whole school of Wellenport Christian School. 
And so on the field day, get first place, walking around with that red ribbon, so proud. Look, look at me, you know, other people, blue ribbons, second place, you know. Uh, just grade two, right? But just feeling so high. Look at how, how amazing I am. I, I know. Just let me live this dream for just one minute because it, it goes badly soon. Um, but then you make it to this thing called Master Field Day where they gather all the schools around. And I got to Master Field Day and they're like, oh, what event are you here for? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm here for, um, for sack racing. And uh, I was pretty, pretty impressed. And they, 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 they look at me and like, oh, man, you know, you're in the class with the, the kangaroo kid from Hamilton. And uh, he is like, he's really fast. I'm like, Hamilton, what small town is that? You know, it can't be anything, right? This kangaroo kid. I'm like, I'm the, I'm the wabbit from Wellenport. You know, I've got this down. And so we get into the event and they line up like 20 of us in a row and rolling our sacks and ready to go. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the whistle blows and I'm hot. I'm thinking, I'm doing great. And this kid, seriously, I don't know what they fed him, but he was like light years ahead of us. Like he was done the race before we were half done. And I got second. I beat all those other kids. But sure enough, when they give that blue ribbon walking around hiding it, and people see, you know, oh, what'd you get second in? Oh, <clears throat> sack racing, you know. It's like that moment of comparison was no longer exciting for me. It was like, wow, it just it, it went down. And as adults, you know, as adults, what happens so often for us is that we don't lose that. Because all of a sudden, that wasn't just a, a sack race. That became part of, like, identity for me. Uh, and it's, it's so easy you think, well, that's just whatever. But it, it happens in different areas that our identity, our value begins, begins uh, to be challenged by this comparison trap that's going on all around us. And so as adults, sometimes we begin to measure ourselves by other people, measuring ourselves against them. And there's this little inner voice on the inside. Sometimes it sounds something like this. You know, I, I need what they have. I see them and I need what they have to be respectable. You know, I may I gotta dress like them to be respectable. Maybe in high school it's that same thing. Or, you know, I need to I need to be with the cool kids so I'm acceptable. And then there's this word where, you know, it just gets right down to the core of it. I need it to be lovable. I need it to be loved. To be lovable, I I I need what they have. And that's the danger. Because once it gets there, the enemy's got such a hook in you that he's got such a control in you, he can just gradually uh cause you to, to continue looking for more and more or to simply feel that there's a value attached to that. But we'll see real quick here that that's not the case or never should have been. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul writes them. Paul is a Jesus follower, not originally, but became one. And he wrote and he said, you know, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. We, we don't compare ourselves to people who are like you know, thinking they're great or better than others. He says, but because they, they're measuring themselves among themselves. They measure themselves by themselves. They, they don't even have Facebook back then, but they're comparing, how, you know, here's my vacation. Oh, yeah, well, here's my vacation. Here's what I ate. Yeah, well, I'm going to take a picture of this menu, and here's what I ate, you know? And it's, it's all of this comparison. So we don't, we don't compare ourselves because they compare themselves among themselves. And he, says, he says this, they're not wise. They're not wise. They don't, and the word wise, Paul, as he uses it, he says they don't understand what they're actually doing when they allow comparison to creep in. Saul, or Paul, as he's later known, would have been well-versed in the, in the words of Solomon. Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon was a man who lived 3,000 years ago, a king of a country, known for his wisdom that was given to him by the Lord, but from all over the world came to see this man. And he wrote down a, a bunch of the, his thoughts. But at the end of his life, he's old. He's made and spent more money than any of us could hope or dream of. He's had more experiences than any, you know, others around him had. And he says, you know, as I, as I sit at the end of my life, here's some things that I want to, I just want to write down for you to think about. 
And it's amazing because we actually have copies of those um, documents. And, and here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4. Solomon says, then I observed, I saw, you know, I saw that, that most people, not everyone, but most people, they're motivated to success. They're trying to get further ahead. They're trying to become, get more er in their life. You know why they do it? Because they envy their neighbors. There's a little bit of this jealousy in them. And it says, but this too, it's meaningless. And then he gives such a great word picture. He's like, it's like, it's like chasing the wind. He's, he says it's this thought of trying to, trying to catch something that you can't catch. It's saying comparison is directly linked to unhappiness. That as soon as we allow ourselves to compare, instantly there's unhappiness. And, and where does it start? It starts with awareness. Awareness. You know, maybe you came here today and you saw somebody wearing some, some cool clothes and you looked and you're like, huh, I didn't realize they made cool clothes like that. That's pretty, I, I would like that. I didn't even want a Highland cow until I drove past that place today. I didn't even know there was such an animal until I drove by. It's like, oh, that thing looks cool. It's awareness. It's awareness. You know, because we're usually pretty content until we see what our neighbor has, what our neighbor drives, what our neighbor lives in, whatever it may be. That's when it happens. And it doesn't happen to everyone. But it's always that temptation that, ah, oh, now I see it. I realize I'm aware that I don't have it. And that's the moment the tension begins. And Solomon says that tension, when he's like, ah, I want more ur, it's like chasing the wind. A couple of, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, I had Derek and um, Mandy and their family over. Our house wasn't fully built yet. And their daughter was outside and uh, her hat, it was a super windy day, her hat blows off and it blows you know, across the yard. And she, of course, goes to chase it. And so like chasing your hat, she runs through the wet, soaking wet, holding clay and maybe gets 10 steps in before she's not going any further. Her feet are stuck in the clay. The wind's blowing her over. She's like trying to stand up. Derek's yelling at her. She can't hear. She can't hear a thing. You know, don't take any more steps. But I thought, you know, as the hat goes blowing away and realizing she's stuck in that spot, there's no chance to catch the hat, which we can easily picture as a mental picture. Yeah, we can see there's no way she's going to catch that. Solomon says it's worse than that. Now picture her trying to catch the wind. And it's like you're not going to be able to catch it no matter how hard you try. You just end up totally stuck. It's a fruitless experience. There's no winner in the race. It's endless. It's pointless. There's no peace. Dissatisfaction is guaranteed. All you get is more. All you get is more. And he simply says your time, your life, it's too valuable to waste it chasing the wind. Comparing with others and trying to, trying to get what they have. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 5, he carries on. He says, but there's another side to it. You know, not, don't just think that just because the ones who are chasing Ur, that they've got an issue. They do. Chasing, if they're chasing the wind, he says, it's fruitless. But he says, there's the other side where it's like the fool. He just, you know, he, he folds their, they fold their idle hands and lead them to ruin. It's almost like they say, well, if I can't keep up with the Joneses, I'm just going to give up. You know, it's, it's no, he says, but don't, don't, uh, don't forget that you're not just living for you. He says in the next verse, he says, and yet it's better to have one handful with quietness, with peace, than to have two handfuls that are full of hard work and chasing the wind. Because our culture, we assume that more is better. It's just a thought. It's always out there that more, if you have more, it's, it's better. But chasing more leaves you wanting more. Chasing more always leaves you wanting more. And so he's saying, let's, uh, we gotta, if we're going to chase something, let's chase something different because it affects us in a huge way. Jesus had a, had a couple of brothers show up one day and he was, he was teaching and all of a sudden they came up to him like, Jesus, you're smart. 
You're smart. You, do always, you always do what's right. And, and Luke writes it down. He says, the eyewitnesses told him that when these brothers came up to him, they said, Jesus, can you settle our inheritance for us? Because we can't get along. We, we don't know, what, you know exactly who's supposed to get what. You would know. How about you settle it for him? And Jesus says, you know what? Let me tell you a story. But before I tell you the story, let me tell you this. And it wasn't just to those two brothers. It was to anyone who would hear it. He said in Luke 12, verse 15, he said, beware, watch out, look out, beware. Guard your heart against every kind of greed. Guard against every kind of greed. Why? He's like, fellas, you guys want just a little bit more. I want more of the, you know, the inheritance. I want a little bit more. He's like, life's not measured by how much you own. Life's not measured by that. He says there's something more important than comparison and how much er you have compared to others. He says life, life is more important and you only got one chance to live it. How are you spending that, that valuable thing you have called life? What are you doing with it? Because there's a more important question to ask than how much can I get? It's this, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 7. He carries on. He says, you know what? I also saw something else. I observed. I saw yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Verse 8, he says, this, this is the case of a man who's all alone. He's without a child and he's without a brother. And when, it, when they put that, see, we're like, oh, so what? He doesn't have a child. He doesn't have a brother. The thing back then is without a child, without a brother, you have no heir. So you can't leave any of your stuff to anyone. Women were not allowed to inherit anything back then. So they would realize, here's a guy who's got no heir, and how is he living his life? Here's how he's living his life. Yet he works so hard to gain as much wealth as he can. And Solomon sits there and says, here I see this guy. He can't leave it to anyone. And he's working and working and working. But then he asks himself this question, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? I'm not even enjoying what I have because I'm working so hard for, for, for who? Who am I doing this for? It's all so meaningless and depressing, he says. Because Solomon says, I've seen the end of this. Most of us are stuck in the middle of it. He says, I've seen the end of it. He says, it's, it's meaningless and depressing. He says, the question is, who am I doing it for? And it's a good one for all of us to ask. Who are you really doing it for? When it says the, the, the desire for more er, to be prettier, thinner, richer, who are you doing it for? Who are you really trying to impress? And do they even know? Well, I'm doing it because my dad said I'd never do it. Yeah, but he's been dead for 10 years. Who are, who are you doing it for? Will they even know? Will they even care? Because what ends up happening is this man became so busy, just busy, busy trying to get er. Busyness is like, it's almost, I'm not going to say it's a disease, but it's like it affects us the same way a disease does. We don't realize it. I was talking to a friend of mine. He said, you know, busy, it's like this, it's the acronym for being bound under Satan's yoke. <laughs> I was like, that's clever. It's not really what it means. Bound under Satan's yoke, but sure made me think. Because when we get busy, what do we lose? Things are really important. There's always going to be another hour to work. But you may not ever have that extra hour with the people that matter in your life. We just want more er, just want more er, not realizing that it's costing us something. Maybe you think you're doing it for you, though. Maybe you're like deep down inside, it's like, no, 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 no. I just need a little bit more er, because once I get that little bit of er, I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be more satisfied er. If I can just get to that spot, if I can just, if I can have what, what they have, whatever it is that, that, that you're aware of, we don't realize that the extent of our own brokenness, that we can't fix what's broken inside of us. 
We can't fix it by just getting a little bit more herb. We're, we're not going to be happier. Comparison won't fix it. We can't fix it. It affects us. And the last two thoughts quickly. Comparison affects your relationship with others, not just with you. It doesn't just steal your joy and evaporate your gratitude and, and affect your value. It affects the relationships with other people. You know, when, you, when you're looking at what other people have, you, it, subconsciously we distance ourselves from the people we think, well, they have what I could never have. They got my job. You know, they're the ones who, the rich people. And pretty soon we start thinking they have a problem. You know, they're, they're just too rich. You know, or, Ugh, skinny people, or whatever, what, people with great hair. You know, whatever it is, you don't want, you don't want to hang around with those people, popular people. We begin to distance ourselves. We, we're not going to hang out with those people. And then we look down at the other side, and we say, oh, you know, those people have less or whatever, whatever it may be. It's not just physical stuff. It's just the people we value differently. So we don't want to hang out with them, and pretty soon we find ourselves just feeling alone in our relationships. And the, and the miserable part of it it's like Solomon described that man. He's not even happy with what he has. He's not grateful for what he has. And you ever been around people that have stuff, but they're not grateful? Nobody really wants to be around them. You know, they're not enjoying life, so nobody else around them gets to enjoy life either. And it affects us, and it affects those around us. But here's probably the most important thing. For those of you who are Jesus followers here, this idea of comparison actually has the ability to affect the way we follow Christ. It can hinder us from actually following the one we've committed our lives to follow. As a Jesus follower, he gave us one command. Anybody know it? You spent five weeks working on that one. <laughs> Love one another. Love one another. You know, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, you know what love is? Love's not jealous. Love's not envious. Love just doesn't do that. Love, truly loving one another. Love doesn't compare. It just doesn't. Paul wrote to the Romans and he encouraged them, live out this command of love one another. And here, here's how you can do it. Romans 12, 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice or be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. But when we're motivated by comparison, we can't do that. We can't rejoice with the person who, you know, wow, they got the new convertible and I didn't. And we can't, we can't, we can't rejoice because there's that, that little bit of jealousy in there instead. You know, when things go really well for them, we can't rejoice because we wish it had gone really good for us. And then on the flip side of that, it's like, you know, we can't weep with those who weep because like, at least everything doesn't go right in their life. A little bit of gloating kicks in in there. It's ugly stuff. I'm not saying you guys have it. I'll just, that one's for me. It, it happens. It happens so simple. And he says there's no win in comparison. There's never a win in comparison. Um, you know, it's like even when we compare other people, sometimes we'll do that. We'll sit there and like, eh. I don't like that worship leader as much as the other one. Nervous laughter all over the room. <laughs> well, his last sermon was better. Bring back Gary. Bring back Gary. And we compare. And whoa, 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 what do we miss out even in this moment? Simply because we allow ourselves to compare people to other people. Every time we lose. There's no win in comparison ever. And here's the thought. James, James the brother of Jesus... He wrote this, James chapter 3, verse 13. He says, if you're wise, there's that word again. If you're wise and you understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. He says, here's the other side of this comparison thing. There's a wisdom thing involved. He says, if you're bitterly jealous, and if there's selfish ambition if you're in your heart, it's all about you getting more for you. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. 
You know, that proud, hey, this is where things are at. It does, don't cover it up, he says, because that jealousy inside you is actually damaging. And selfishness, he says, they're not God's kind of wisdom. They're not from him. Such things are earthly. That's where they come from. They're unspiritual and they're demonic. Like, oh, if there's a good reason not to be in comparison, it's, that's a good one. He says in verse 16, for wherever there's jealousy, wherever there's selfish ambition, you're going to find disorder and evil of every kind. It affects more than just that. This little comparison thing is such a trap. Verse 17, he says, but the wisdom from above, God's kind of wisdom, his way of thinking about things, his way of doing things, it's, it's first of all, it's pure. Of course it is. It's him. It's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. It's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds, and it shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. It never compares anything. It never compares anyone because that's who he is. His wisdom and his, and his wisdom doesn't compare, and, and, and neither should we. You know, Jesus taught his followers, call God. When you're going to talk to God, call him your heavenly father because that's who he is. He's, he's, not a, he's not a parent that compares. I don't know if you grew up in a home like that. If you're the oldest, you probably did okay. Because, you know, why can't you be more like your brother is what you heard all your know, parents say to your siblings. At least I did, you know. Maybe for you, you're on the other end. Why can't you be more like your brother? And maybe they wouldn't say it, but you knew they had a favorite son, you know, they had a favorite daughter. Who do perfect parents compare their kids to? Who do perfect parents compare their kids to? Nobody. Nobody. Perfect parents don't compare their kids to anyone. It's broken parents that do. It's imperfect people that do. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. A perfect Heavenly Father that when He looks at you, He's not comparing you to anyone else. He's not looking at you and saying, hey, why aren't you like the other Mark? You know, why aren't you more like Billy Graham? Why aren't you more like the Apostle Paul? Oh, he looks at you as the one-of-a-kind, unique masterpiece that you are, his child. For the Jesus followers here, that, that's you. He's saying, listen, there's no win in comparison. I'm not even comparing you to one another because it's like chasing the wind. It's, you're never gonna, there's never going to be a benefit of it. And so this morning, I leave you just with this thought. You know, what about you and what about me? Solomon, Solomon talked about it 3,000 years ago. Paul talked about it. You know, nearly 2,000 years ago, James talked about it as well. Jesus talked about it. But deep down, this idea of comparison, we really didn't need anybody to talk to us about it. Because we really know deep down inside, when, when it's there, you know it's there. The best summer ever. Two, two questions for two groups of people. For the Jesus followers here this morning, could this be or will this be your best summer ever? Why did we spell it that way? Because the best summer ever shouldn't have any S or ers in it at all. Maybe it should be just be B some ev. No S, no er. When the temptation begins to creep in, instantly it's like, yeah, I see that. But see, because I preached this last night and I got to hear myself preach it last night, as I saw the Highland cow, I said, there's no win in comparison. And I drove on here. But whatever it may be, maybe, maybe you just need to tell yourself, as maybe you need to speak it out. You know what? That's just chasing the wind. Yeah, it's cool, but that's just chasing the wind. Yeah, things may have gone you know, way better in their life at this moment than mine, but it's just chasing the wind. They went on three vacations this year. I got it. No, wait a second. That's just chasing the wind. They have six kids and I only have four. Whatever it may be, because it really can be anything. We have these things. Would you just allow gratitude to remain in there? Realizing, you know what? I don't need more er because I got him. 
I don't need more, or I have him. I'm not going to waste my life or waste my summer chasing more of her. I'm just simply going to live it in gratitude to him for what he's entrusted me with. Just a thought, just a reminder. This morning, for those of you who are not Jesus followers, just a quick thought for you. If you're not a Jesus follower here, and like, what is all this? What do these people do? What is this all about? Or maybe you've sat in church for a long time, and you, you just, you know, you're not quite sure about all of this. See, what, what happens with us, and people see it all the time. They look at people, and they see people compare themselves to other people. I've talked to people. I, I've talked to all kinds of people. And you know what I find when, when people have to look at themselves, and, and, and whether they're, you know, what, what do you think God thinks of you? Well, like, their first thought is, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm better than those people. I've heard that from churchgoers. I've heard it from elders. I've heard it from hell's angels. Well, not as bad as someone else. Because we, we want to compare ourselves among ourselves, but, but God doesn't. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to you know, compare yourself how good you are to other people around you. He says, I want you to compare yourself to my standard of perfection. How do you do? Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever had a lustful thought in your heart? Have you ever had an angry thought in your heart? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, okay. You know, I realize I'm not, I'm not okay. And too often we think we're okay because we're not as bad as everyone else, but sin affects every one of us. We're all in that same boat together, and there's a profound brokenness inside of us. It's the brokenness that actually motivates every action we ever regret. It's that brokenness inside of us. And there's only one person who can fix that brokenness. It's not doing, you know, things that say better things. Oh, I'll go to church or I'll do this. The brokenness needs to be fixed. And there's only one person who can do that, and it's, it's, it's Jesus Christ. Paul said, you know what, for those of us who continue on living without receiving the forgiveness of Jesus, we're storing up for ourselves wrath in the day of judgment. We don't always think that we're going to stand before God someday and have to give account of our lives. But we will. I will. You will. We're going to have to answer the questions. What did you do with life? What did you do with the pursuit of life? What did you do with him? You know, I think we, sometimes we don't like to think about it. Because we don't like to think that we have this, this debt that's piling up. We just don't want to think about it. But just because we don't think about it doesn't mean it's not true. And for some, it's like we're not, you know, we're not, a, we're not aware of it. And we think, oh, as long as we're not aware of it, it's okay. It's okay. A couple of years ago, I was driving in Hamilton in a funeral procession. And I tried to stick with the people. And I went through a red light and didn't think anything of it. A couple of weeks later, I got a little notice in the mail. Dear Mr. Vanderweer. We saw you drive through that red light. You owe us $360. As long as I was unaware of it, I thought I was fine, but was I? No. No, I had a debt to pay. I didn't know it, but I did. And that moment when I had to say, okay, well, I'm going to go and fight this, and I went in there and told him, you know what, I, I, I was in a funeral procession. You should let me go. He's like, nope, you're guilty. Would you like to say you're guilty, or do you want me to tell you you're guilty? That's what the judge was. I'm like, okay, I'm guilty. All right, now I can go pay your fine. So after being judged guilty, I have to go pay my fine. I go to the little booth, and I'm like hoping somebody's going to come up and say, hey, you look like a nice guy. Can I pay your fine for you? Why do you laugh? You would have done the same, wouldn't you? <laughs> Guess what happened? Nobody came. <laughs> Nobody came. I, I had to go, and I had to pay, and I was just like, oh, $360, oh. You know, it's just such a small, small picture of what Jesus did for us because it wasn't $360. It was a death sentence. That's what he came and paid for us. And so today, maybe today, you, you know, you just, for the first time, realize, oh, wait a second, I, I owe a debt to the Lord. 
and he's forgiven me. And maybe for the first time today, you're like, okay, God, I, I surrender to you. If you'll take my past, I'll give you my future. I believe for you that as you take that step and start maybe the first day of a relationship with your heavenly father, it will be your best summer ever because you'll be connected to, the, to life himself, the way you were designed to live, to live without shame, without, without guilt, to live in complete forgiveness, not because you did anything, but because he did. It's on the table for you this morning. It simply takes and requires a decision to say, you know what? <laughs> I don't want more er. I want more him. Change the rest of your life. Change the rest of your life. I just pray that for each of us this morning, wherever we find ourselves, we'd be challenged to take a step with him in that direction and not be caught in the comparison trap because there is no win in comparison. Can we pray? Father, thanks for the reminder. Thank you that your word is powerful even today, that it just affects us. It speaks to us. As we just have open hearts to you this morning, would, would you speak to individuals around this place? For those who don't know you, Lord, and you're calling to them, I, I just pray against whatever may be holding them back, that they might reach out to you and experience your life and your love. And for those of us who you've changed already, Holy Spirit, thank you that you walk with us. Would you just prick our hearts and our conscience when we begin to drift down that road of comparison? Thanks for rescuing me this week. Thank you. Jesus, we go out today living in your name and for your glory, knowing that you're with us wherever we go. No matter what we face, we can face it with you. We're grateful for that. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.